break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 9th of August, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show, and we've got plenty for you here on the show Today, we want to get into the state of the war in Ukraine. The war in Ukraine continues to grind on as it fades into the fabric of daily news reports that often seem more or less the same cycle of accusations, counter-accusations, stories about the U.S. sending X billions of dollars more aid, as well as the regional and global impacts of sanctions. And amid this overall set of themes, it can be difficult to pick out day to day the course of the war and whether or not there's any sort of end game on the horizon. Taking the various threads together, it seems fair to say that, sadly, there's not a clear end in sight, but that the dynamics are certainly not as favorable for Ukraine as the U.S. and other Western powers say they are as they seek to justify their efforts to expand the war. On that note, On Monday, the Biden administration announced the largest weapons shipment of the war to Ukraine, and that shipment worth $1 billion includes, according to CNBC, quote, additional ammunition for high-mobility artillery rocket systems, or HIMARS, 75,000 rounds of 155-millimeter artillery ammunition, 120-millimeter mortar systems, and 20,000 rounds of 120-millimeter mortar ammunition, as well as munitions for National Advanced Surface-to-Air Missile Systems, or NASMAS. The Pentagon will also send 1,000 javelins, hundreds of AT-4 anti-armor systems, 50 armored medical treatment vehicles, anti-personnel munitions, explosives, demolition munitions, and demolition equipment. End quote. This is the 18th shipment of weapons from the U.S. to Ukraine so far. Total value? $9.8 billion. What is really notable about this shipment of arms, however, is the justification for it laid out by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken in announcing the package. He stated in part, quote, We will continue to consult closely with Ukraine and surge additional available systems and capabilities carefully calibrated to make a difference on the battlefield and strengthen Ukraine's eventual position at the negotiating table. End quote. That's a big admission at the end there. The U.S. admitting that the surge of weapons to Ukraine at this point is just delaying the inevitable, that Ukraine will have to negotiate with Russia to end the war and implicitly make serious concessions. This has, of course, been clear from the beginning, but absurdly for months, the West pretended Ukraine could quote-unquote win and did absolutely nothing, as they continue to do absolutely nothing, to try to find a way to move things towards a diplomatic close. So then, as now, you can see the West is willing to extend the carnage as long as they possibly can before negotiations start, something that makes sense for NATO powers because their real desire is just to weaken Russia, not help the people of Ukraine. But it's hard to argue it's better for the people of Ukraine, who ultimately will continue to live under warlike conditions for months longer, only to end up with roughly the same deal they'd probably get if the negotiations started today. 
The state of the war is a slow, grinding move forward by Russia, particularly in the east. Slowly but surely, the Russians are taking control of the last pockets of Ukrainian resistance in the Donbass, which is the central theater of the war. Over the past 24 hours, reports have come in that the Russians have taken Solodar, one of the key parts of the Ukrainian defensive line. The general point being, it seems more of a matter of when, not if, that the Russians are able to retake all of the Donbass region, where the Ukrainian army has made its biggest stand. Overall, it seems the shipment of weapons from the U.S. and on-the-spot training being offered by NATO countries are really just delaying the Russian advance, but not changing the game. Recently, the Ukrainians and the Western media had hyped up a Ukrainian offensive in the southern part of the country, large swaths of which have fallen under Russian control. The general thrust of this reporting has been that this could also slow down Russian efforts in the east and perhaps take even more territory in the south. The Ministry of Defense in the United Kingdom, in its regular analysis of the war, noted that while Russia has been shifting significant forces to the south in anticipation of a greater push, it has not affected their operations in the east. So what this will all amount to is certainly unclear, but perhaps most notable is no one is really predicting a major breakthrough for Ukraine in the south. Even Radio Free Europe, very pro-Ukraine, would only advance one clear potential goal Ukraine might have in a recent article about this very issue— and that goal was preventing Russia from holding referendums to annex parts of the southeastern part of Ukraine, but not, however, retaking a substantial amount of territory. Recently, reports have emerged of more aggressive activity by pro-Ukrainian partisan fighters in the southeastern region of the country, attacking Russian troops and officials, which is another wild card in the fighting in the area. And also, Ukraine and Russia have been trading accusations over who's shelling a nuclear power plant in the region, raising serious fears of a potentially serious nuclear accident as the fighting in the southeastern part of the country heats up. So again, overall, the war seems set to grind on, but at the end of the day, the end result seems to be the same now as it will be after a few more months of death and destruction. That Russia and its allies in the Donbass will control much of the east and southeast of the country, and negotiations will essentially be over whether or not these areas will become independent, part of Russia, autonomous territories in Ukraine, or some combination of all three of those things. So as you can see, the NATO quote-unquote support strategy for Ukraine is really just fighting until the last Ukrainian to try to inflict the maximum amount of damage on Russia, regardless of the consequences, including the ongoing risk of famine and spiraling cost of living crisis around the world, which is rippling out from this war. Politically, the situation in Ukraine is looking somewhat precarious for Mr. Zelensky. Recently, Zelensky fired the head of the Ukrainian security service, formerly a close ally, allegedly for allowing a large number of officials to defect to Russia. This comes after Zelensky has banned every opposition party, taken control of all Ukrainian media, banned strikes, and launched a range of witch-hunt-style raids for collaborators. And further allegations have continued to swirl around Zelensky, including a recent report in the German newspaper Die Welt about alleged corruption on his part and amongst his friends, supporters, and patrons. Well-connected New York Times journalist Thomas Friedman recently reported that based on his sources, quote, privately U.S. officials are a lot more concerned about Ukraine's leadership than they're letting on. There's deep mistrust between the White House and Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky, considerably more than has been reported, end quote. And Zelensky also took some PR hits when a recent Amnesty International report corroborated allegations long made by Russia that Ukraine is hiding various weapon systems among civilian populations, using them as human shields. CBS News recently reported that as much as 70% of the weapons being sent to Ukraine are disappearing before they reach the front lines. Ukraine reacted strongly to this, 
negatively, I should say. And CBS ultimately now has pulled the report. But nonetheless, this has been an issue many people have raised as a potential red flag since the beginning of NATO weapons shipments. And now it has some level of corroboration. Also interesting, the CBS report follows similar accusations from Republican Congresswoman Victoria Spartz, who's a Ukrainian immigrant and a strong opponent of Russia with her own contacts, who has been demanding greater oversight of weapons shipments to Ukraine, despite attempts by Republican leadership to shut her up. And Ukraine has also been under a cloud of its own for war crimes in Donbass. Large numbers of small mines have been dropped across various areas of the east, causing a number of gruesome mutilations. Ukraine, of course, claims they did not drop these mines, but their explanation of a Russian false flag doesn't really hold much water. So putting that all together, it's clear that the pressures of the Russian offensive are putting serious pressure on the Ukrainian government. Zelensky's government now rests on a very narrow base, including many who never truly supported him in the first place, and that to some extent he had briefly displaced by winning the presidency and a large majority in parliament in 2019. More than anything else, this raises the possibility of some sort of coup inside of the country. Recently, there was an interesting episode that took place where the military declared that military-age males could not leave their cities and towns as part of the broader efforts to conscript people of military age. Zelensky quickly countermanded that order, but it was hard to not get the sense that he wasn't fully in control. So if the war continues for another few months, basically the same way, internal turmoil in Ukraine itself could become more of a factor. All in all, the war in Ukraine clearly can't end until the two sides sit down. But... Also clearly, NATO is doing everything possible to delay that day, no matter what it costs Ukraine and the world. So the question becomes, how long will people in NATO countries, except their so-called leaders, fighting to the last Ukrainian on the taxpayer's dime? That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 